Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of the Chaos and Shadow podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Pagan. Pagan, how are you doing tonight? I'm super excited because we have Michelle with us. That's right, everybody. Michelle Belanger, author, psychic, occult expert, presenter, singer, and media personality. We first discovered her through A&E's Paranormal State and later on Travel Channel's Portals to Hell. She was on the podcast back in October, so if you haven't listened, you need to go check that out. We were visiting uh, and attending her House Keperu online gather event, and now she returns to chat with us about a myriad of strange subjects. Michelle, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. The first conversation was fantastic, so I'm looking forward to today. It was lovely. We got to chat about elementals, what they kind of mean in a larger scope of things. I think if memory serves, we were doing a little bit of a segment around Halloween uh, kind of mm-hmm. taking some of the stigma away from supposed elemental and demonic activity and, and and trying to peel back some layers on that. So, Michelle, thank you very much for coming on. Then I know a lot of people love that episode. So today cool. we get to dive deeper on subjects and just poke around. Um, one of the things we want to talk to you about right off the bat, though, is House Kepru. We attended the gather event, like I mentioned in our little intro and that was just phenomenal, packed with oh my gosh, wonderful yes. speakers and just so much energy in the room. Michelle, in, people have maybe seen it up on the blog already, a review. But would you like to speak to that a little bit? Just set it up for people, tell them what it is if they've never heard that name before. Oh, wow. Let's see. <laughs> uh, back in, well, okay. So, so back in the Stone Age, in, in the 1990s, when I was coming of age and like experimenting and trying to figure out like am i pagan am i a witch am i this am i that Uh, i didn't find any group that really resonated with me and um a lot has changed especially in the witchcraft and pagan communities especially the witchcraft community where there's a lot more you know everything's not like super white light anymore and it's not super like you've got to follow a god and goddess but back then it was very I don't know, monolithic, and and there was a lot of gatekeeping. There was just a lot of stuff that just didn't appeal to me. Uh, So uh, despite the fact that I'm kind of an iconoclast and a maverick and a bit of an anarchist, I founded my own thing, (laughs) which has been a journey. Um, It started in 1996, and uh, it wasn't immediately named House Keperu. It got that name in about 98, 99. Um, It's from the Egyptian word uh, Keperu. There's there's actually... uh, an Egyptian creation story that starts Keperu, Keperi, Keperu, uh, and it's variations on the word to become, to change, to transform. Uh, because if there was one constant in both my practice and what I perceived as the, the magical and the energetic world, it was change, it was transformation. Uh, and that was a kind of a, a call note of, of my practice and what I was trying to pass along. So, House Kepru came about. Uh, it was uh, a tight knit group of fellow practitioners, and you know, over the years, it became a little bit more structured. And it was at first uh, primarily uh, a, a group that worked within the vampire community, as much as we were energy workers. Uh, and as we grew and evolved over the years, that started to change to include a, a lot more than simply uh, vampires. Pretty much, it. it revolves around this nugget of where mystical experience and occultism and energy work, psychic development and reincarnation all kind of coincide. Uh, It is a predominantly left-hand path or at least non-theistic 
system where each of the members may have their own particular uh, personal religious or spiritual path, but we all come together and the group work is more about our shared identity. And in 2000, October 2000, on Friday the 13th that year, uh, we did the first gather. And, uh, oh, that was, <laughs> that was a trip because it was, it was me pretty much like running this convention and moderating all the panels and like just putting it all together. Um, and again, because it was mainly the vampire community then, uh, the purpose was to create this neutral ground where people from diverse groups and houses and solitary practices could come together and share in an open and nurturing environment what their experiences were and basically like co-teach from one another. And that sense of open dialogue and that sense of creating space for different facets of community to engage has been the the seed upon which I built the the garden that, that has become the, the House Kepru events. Uh, at first, we did them twice a year. Uh, that became a lot, especially once it got bigger. Uh, so, you know, the past 10 years or so, it's been every year around June. Um, and of course, with COVID last year, we had to go virtual, which was sort of stinky because it was the 20th anniversary oh. and we had such an all-star cast lined up like Christopher Penzak and Steve Kenson and Adam Alstar and, and all of these other fantastic people had agreed to come and be our guests of honor and like just sort of celebrate this milestone with us. Um, and you know, we, we, we adapted though. I mean, how's it change? Mm -hmm. You got to keep moving. It's mm -hmm. attending that event was just so powerful. Uh, yeah. we, we were visitors there, as I say, and we, we got to sit in for, for this one wonderful day that just, it, it, you know, months later now, uh, it still stuck with us and, and just, mm -hmm. just left such an impact i think so much is uh, goes to be said about the the community the the garden you're growing there because I, I know pagan and i consider ourselves very lucky that we're now coming up in this space with such great guides and teachers out there who have done this work for for all of us so uh it, again it, it's just a personal thank you from us that we we got to attend we got to share in that because uh, that's your work paying off, as I see it. That's that's what twenty twenty years you said of hard work uh, going in, and uh, to the people that get to participate, it's just something else. So everyone here has got to go look it up. We'll have of links to that, obviously. But House Kepru is just phenomenal. And I will say, you know, going back, thinking back to the events, I, I remember telling Kyle because some of the stuff I had to watch the next day because it, it was a little late for me and um, schedule conflicts and all that. So when I got to watch it the next day, it was still just as powerful, even though it wasn't live. And the energy and everything that you all transpired as a group really still came forward and was just, it was like still being there while it was live. It was amazing. And every ounce of that event still sticks in my brain. It's mm. still there. And it's just, it was so powerful in so many little ways that words can't even express how great it was. So even though it was your 20th anniversary and you guys had that amazing event planned, the virtual one, at least for those who couldn't attend the physical one, you know, obviously because of COVID, was still so spectacular. So please, everyone, go check out House Kepru. It's awesome. 
in one every of, sense of the word. <laughs> one, of the really, one of the really cool things that came out of having to do it online was realizing how much that opened accessibility up to a lot mm-hmm. of people who either physically or financially were never able to travel out to ho- a hotel and do a, a three-day convention. Um, and I mean, there's certain logistics that you just can't avoid if you're running something at a hotel. Uh, but right. like like all these voices and faces that we would not have otherwise seen. So like that was really cool because one of the, the core values that I built the event around particularly was diversity was like creating a space where you could come as you really were and like bring whatever your background is and know that that's a safe space to talk about your lived experience and to see if there's anybody else out there who shares that and 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 like just kind of mind meld with everybody who's just you know as 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 weird as you are Yes, it was just a spectacular event. And I do hope that you guys consider doing more virtual events. Um, I know Kyle and I have a hard time traveling to big events all the time, um, especially still with COVID. So if you guys do consider it, please let us know because we will be the first ones in line. Well, for we sure. already have plans. Um, so 2021, uh, we we were kind of waiting and, and assessing like where things were at right now. And as much as we wanted to do something in person, we, we've already accepted uh, for 2021 this year. It will be virtual again. Uh, we're calling it an astral gather, uh, honestly, because virtual feels a little bit like overdone at this point. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, we see so much good in both going forward what we're in negotiations um with the rest of the house kept roof folks and the, all of our volunteers is we're looking toward doing an in-person one and an astral gather. So having a physical one once a year and on the other half of the year, uh, a virtual one so that we can do both. And also looking into ways that we can stream as much as possible for the in-person one, uh, whatever time we actually get around to doing that, maybe, you know, hopefully 2022. Um, mm-hmm. While also taking into account like the, the the privacy and the consent of anybody who's physically present, that's still yeah. so spectacularly amazing that you guys are willing to do that. And you know, uh, the in person events. I hope that going forward, that's kind of a thing that a lot of uh, conventions consider doing is doing some sort of live streaming because we're also used to it now, mm-hmm. and we really hope that it continues because it makes it so much more accessible for everybody. Yeah, well, and we had just hit the price point where we had enough money in in our coffers that for 2020 and 2021 going forward, we were going to have a um, basically a stipend for uh, marginalized presenters. So, so we were going to have at least one presenter for every year that we were able to bring in somebody who wouldn't otherwise be able to come. Um, and, mm-hmm. and specifically somebody from, from a marginalized group. We were hoping That's for so it to awesome. be uh, Tarek Revae the, the, the first time because he's, uh, there's someone who has a lot of like physical challenges. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's tricky for them to go anywhere. Um, but, but we were, you know, finally in a position where that would be like a, yeah, no, we, we can cover that. That's so awesome. I absolutely so love that. So incredibly awesome. Yeah. And as Pagan said a second ago, we're both people that are of the group. We, we attend the virtual events where we can because uh, physically and money-wise, very hard to travel around the U.S. Uh, and like you said, booking hotel rooms and all that gets very cost prohibitive, especially these mm-hmm. days. So it is amazing. And I did, I see dates up here already. 
Uh, yep. Looks like July 30th through August 1st of this year. Yep, yep. That's wonderful. So uh, also tickets available May 14th. So if everyone out there wants to bookmark uh, that that date and everything in their calendar and their in their notes, we'll have it below. That's going to be awesome. We we so hope to attend and, and be there for it. Just beautiful yes. event all around. And as and we, we oh, continue, Michelle, I'm sorry. We don't have all of our presenters locked in yet. So if anybody wants to poke around in the site and submit some cool ideas. Uh, the the gather committee is more than happy to like take a look and and it's not just like all house keperu all the time like our goal is to have many voices and many traditions showcased like that's the heart of it it's not just our show it's us holding space uh, and you know obviously we're, we're we've got a couple of just by by folks who come in who are like well what the heck do you guys do so there, there's always going to be a few things where we're talking about like what what is this tradition that you know I've, I've developed <laughs> over a couple of decades but the goal is to also have space held for many other points of view so it's it's a multitude of voices and uh, a rich tapestry experience please everyone out there listening if, if that sounds appealing to you go check it out uh it is kepru.org and you'll see a gather button at the top click on that has the dates and all the info that we just talked about and has that submit your presenter application link so if people out there have some ideas bopping around submit away and speaking of uh, a tapestry of of voices michelle we recently heard you over on Devin Hunter's podcast, Modern Witch. We sat mm-hmm. down with Devin, what was that, two, three weeks ago now, Pagan? Something like uh, that. A month ago? Almost, uh, almost a month, yeah. Wow. Time's fl- time flies, even though maybe <laughs> yeah, the being trapped. Right. <laughs> yeah, trapped inside makes time the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, so that one, speaking of what it, what is time, that was a wonderful conversation about the Nephilim that... I, I thought Devin stitched that together in a really great way, bringing your voice in with others uh, to just make this beautiful episode that turned into, oh, I'm, I don't even know. I, I don't even know if we mm-hmm. came up with a word for Devin with it that night, but it, it was just, it's storytelling, but with, with such experts in the field that brought all unique and great perspectives to it. Could you talk to us a little bit what that was like in the recording process with Devin? Oh, well, the the thing about that first is I'm, I, I, I am a person who walks in at, at minimum two worlds. So usually when I'm talking about demons and angels and the Nephilim, I'm coming at it from the safety of a, a folklorist and a researcher and just somebody who's reciting the the beliefs and citations that I can point to from, you know, biblical and pre-biblical texts. But Devin knows enough and is perceptive enough to, like, really dig into, like, but what's your personal take? What's your practical mm-hmm. experience? And, 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 I, and I have that. Normally, I dodge those questions, but uh, I... I, I like and respect Devin. I see a kindred kindred soul there. Uh, so he got me to spill my guts. <laughs> uh, maybe not all the all, all the uh, state secrets, but definitely a lot more came out about my personal practice, personal views, mm-hmm. uh, family traditions that were weirdly handed down. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it felt a little it felt a little naked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure how people were going to respond to it. I, it was actually really cool to see how many people were like, oh, my God, because in my experience, there's actually so many practitioners who do the exact same thing. We're like they've got sort of the safe place mm-hmm. where they'll talk about it in a theoretical standpoint, but nobody's quite willing to commit to. Oh, yeah, you know, I work with this stuff. Um, yeah. 
in, in, a, in a public setting. Like you'll hear those conversations in the green, green room at conventions, you know, kind of behind closed doors, late night conversations. And it just feels like the time to say, you know what, screw it. Like, like, who cares what somebody thinks? Like, like, who cares? Let's just talk about it. Like, if we don't talk about it openly, how is anyone who's who's young or who's just starting to work with this stuff or who's being called by things? How, how are they going to know? Like, like where there's no it's very difficult to navigate as that area of, of learning, especially because there's so much uh misinformation and controversial information uh so yeah it was it was a good experience it was a little scary and i I was just like oh well we'll see how that goes (laughs) well you know it it was so funny listening to the the podcast because i'm sitting there listening to you talk about this and i'm like oh my god she's spilling the tea about this Mm -hmm. wow okay and i got done and i was like giddy excited about it because i'm like she spilled the fucking tea about this it was Mm -hmm. so great so it was such a wonderful experience um seeing all of that transpire over the podcast because i'm like i kind of wish more practitioners would do this you know talk about their open experience talk about their practices that's outside of the realm of by the book you know, yeah. I say by the book with air quotations because there's no real book on any real practice right now. And so it, it's kind of one of those things of I, I feel like everybody's practice is so personal and so different and we could all learn from each other. So just listening to that was just so phenomenal because you got to see just a tiny aspect of what that would be like if well, we did and, that. And the cool thing was is it, it felt like I, I finally got to give out the key to all the Easter eggs in like all of my work. Because if you look at my opus over the past mm-hmm. 20 years, you'll be like, well, why are they bouncing from this to this to this to this? What's with this CD of music? What's with now there's fiction? Like, but if you look at it, like it's all coding. The, like, like all you have to do is listen to Blood of Angels in the CD. And like you listen to that as the soundtrack to the Shadow Side series and like hopefully little things are the light bulbs are popping and if you have to ask yourself is this person talking about something that maybe they've really experienced <laughs> the answer is probably yes gosh everyone needs to go listen we talked a little bit about the music in the last one too because we wanted to draw people's attention to that um we like i love i love to see an artist's work come together in that way too like you said it's it's like giving out the key to to make sense of it all and again, like Pagan said, it, it, it flowed so well. It, it gave us a side of things we don't often see. Um, and, and I don't really mean to veer us away too far from this subject other than to say, mm. I would love, Michelle, in, in this episode here, to pick your brain on uh, ideas of ethical investigating. Again, we, we touched a little mm-hmm. bit on that last time. But one of our future episodes that we're going to be looking at is that Netflix documentary on the Cecil Hotel. And you know what we work on here. We try and do very, very diligent research. And and that documentary got slammed pretty harshly for um, all kinds of unethical approaches and not getting the family's consent, people injecting mysticism into a a woman's tragedy. And so I I would love, because you have so many years of, of hands-on experience and working with TV shows that have tried, uh, as we talked last time, tried to inflate cases and fluff things for the audience's approval. I'm just curious to hear your take on on what you might think of just this current space. We have a lot of people coming to the paranormal. We have a lot of people getting 
maybe misinformation or, or stranger stuff. How, how do you see that situation unfolding these days? People traveling to the occult. Just so, me. so it's it, it's funny. I mean, I'm I'm the author of like the widest followed, uh, the most widely followed set of ethical guidelines in the vampire, um, the the Black Veil, and it, it's you know circled the globe. And it's not like it's you know gospel where like there's vampire archons that are going to show up at your door and say you broke this. But it's it, <laughs> it exists to go like think think about consent, think about community, think about these things. So so in two thousand. Five or 2006. It was the first UNIFCON that I was at. I was on a panel with Lloyd Auerbach and Jason and Grant of the Ghost Hunters, and uh, there were one or two other people, and we were specifically talking about ethics. I floated the idea of like, okay, well, this worked for my community. Why don't we have something like a set of ethical guidelines for that we just sort of like all agree to endorse of like when you're going to a place, leave it exactly like when you leave, leave it the way that you found it. When you are going to a place, treat it with respect. Like why, why can't we agree on a couple of like really simple things? Um, Jason and Grant, Jason especially thought like there was no way that like they were ever going to sell it to anybody. Like, like people simply would just push back against it. And I'm like, well, it's not like you're telling people that they, they must, there's literally no way to enforce something like that. But, but the codifying, like the very act of writing a list of this is how you respectfully engage with things. And if you put it out there, it at least makes people think about it. Like, like you can't tell them, you know, you, you know, you sit down. You, you, if, if you don't do this, somebody's going to like make you sit in a corner and, and think about what you did like that. That doesn't happen. Um, but I do think that we need to have a, a deeper conversation uh, and the lack of it has shown over, over the past couple of decades about like, what do we do? Like the one thing that's always gotten right up my nose is if you actually believe that a ghost, at least some spirits used to be intelligent human beings, at what point does their dying make them no longer human? Like, like they get objectified and they get treated like in ways that you would never consider treating. I would hope they would never consider treating a living, breathing human being. Um, and and like it, you'll watch people, especially the ones that are really big into provocation. You know, just barge on into a place where like some sort of horrible tragedy has happened, and like you know, mm -hmm. five people died in like a, a mass. Uh, a mass murder, and you know there was all this like you know horrible family drama and stuff. And and what what are they doing? They're like trying to get the spirits to cry, like they're just like, hey, did it feel good to kill your baby? Who would have God. that conversation? Like, think about that. What kind of an a hole are you? <laughs> I agree. That seems like the easiest way to get yourself blacklisted from uh, any sort of contact. <laughs> And I'm so right. glad you're on this note because we see and hear this all the time. And it, it's the popular thing on TV these days. So this is your soapbox, Michelle. You preach about these ethical guidelines because it's something we need. This is this is mm -hmm. a beautiful concept. And I'm so sad that it didn't get the traction it should have. I mean, I am I am the first to throw down if something is being bad. Um, and like one of my big like hard lines is if something is preying upon people who can't otherwise protect themselves, children, or, or honestly, anybody who's, who's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, probably my, famous, my most famous line out of Paranormal State was, come on, wife beater, uh, <laughs> because we were at an old mining town in Pennsylvania, 
And like the family had told us, like like the story behind this is in the second one, I was told by by production that I was not allowed to call the spirit names. I was certainly not allowed to bring up the wife beating. And I'm like, but the family told us, like he went after his wife with a poker. What the what? A poker from the freaking fireplace. Like, at what point is that even, like, there's no question he was a wife beater. The end. Um, So, uh, what I will say is, I think that under certain circumstances, strong words are warranted. But I also think that you shouldn't walk into somebody's house and just start screaming obscenities at them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more with that because it's one of those things that, like, you see it so often on... Um, a lot of the paranormal TV. And I, it's kind of one of those things that the more I see it and the more, you know, we get into our own ethics of investigating and looking into cases, the more of a turnoff it really is yeah. when you see it. Because it honestly is so, it's demoralizing to watch because, you know, from somebody who has worked with spirits, somebody who talks to spirits, and you see that and you're like, why are you treating them like hell? Mm-hmm. You don't even know who you're talking. You don't even know if this is legitimately a quote unquote demon or dark spirit that you're talking to. They might just not like you. Well, and, and it's just, it, it blows my mind. From, from that behavior, there's only a couple of conclusions you can draw. Either the investigators who are provocateurs like that are, are just genuinely awful people, or they don't on some intrinsic level actually think that these spirits have objective reality that they don't really think that they're talking to something that has a personality or that could mm-hmm. have a personality and, and certainly has feelings um and, and either way there's there's problems there uh my, my biggest problem with provocation and that behavior being something that you see widely on a couple of the the, the shows is when people are getting into this, paranormal TV is often like the, the first thing that they see and their first resource. And when you see certain behaviors normalize, it takes a little while to step back and go, but why are we doing it like that? To actually mm-hmm. like question it. Uh, so I don't think that we should be normalizing, uh, frankly, bad behavior toward spirits, whether they're human, non-human, or something in between. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. and. To me, it feels it feels so we we started this podcast in in June of of 2020 in middle of the pandemic going on. And in in a short amount of time, I think, again, I mentioned we were very lucky to have found the group of people we did that that foster already so many great communities and people around them like yourself. Because thinking about what it would be like to walk into the paranormal space and have paranormal TV in its current iteration be uh, the end all be all. I know many people mm-hmm. that's as far as they'll take their research too. It doesn't surprise me then to go to YouTube and see those type of videos where they're making outlandish claims or just in the comment section, that's of course a demon, you know, your your life is ruined. Or it, it escalates rather quickly, I think, because I think a lot of people don't get the next step. They don't they don't get to look past the Hollywood a lot of the time. So that's why I say when yeah. when people are out there making this difference, when you use your platform, specifically speaking out uh the satanic panic sort of commentary you've been making, warning about that, mm-hmm. that's extraordinarily important. And I'm so thankful you use it just because ooh, in this day and age of of likes and retweets, it's really easy for a conversation to go from one to infinity now and uh have someone go from being an innocent person to to getting a bad rap 
Uh, and I'm curious, actually, if you have had any thoughts or interactions with a lot of the TikTok trends that have been coming out. Because we spend, the three of us, a lot of our time on Twitter, and I'm sure it, mm-hmm. it definitely comes across our timelines, the commentary about it. And it leaves me wondering, right now, TikTok feels kind of like a net loss, and I, I wish it were feeling a little bit more like a gain over there. Yeah, I. it's funny. Um, you know, I'm I'm getting, I'm almost 50. Uh, it's only a couple of years. And I have hit the point where I realized I've sort of aged out of a couple of the technology things where I'm like, mm, yeah, that's, that's, that's going to take a lot of doing to figure out how that works. So like some of the TikTok <laughs> stuff has come through and I'm trying to kind of wrap my brain around it. I'm, I'm actually like in real time experiencing that, like, huh, this is what it feels like to be out of touch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have that. So it's a little too. humbling. It's it's a little humbling. Like 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 it happens where I'm like, huh, I just don't get some of this. Huh. All right. So that's that's a new feeling. Um, because I'm usually pretty adaptive to uh like like communication is my jam. Like like and everything to me is is like a, a, a linguistic challenge, like learning the language and the the way people dress and the way people speak and jargon, all of that's language. So that's all stuff that I love making into a puzzle that I can unpick a social media for me is another, like it's, it's all just ways that people communicate and it makes this great language puzzle. And I'm like, huh, this is like Sudoku. It's just not, not the thing that I wrap my head around. Um, (laughs) So like, I'll get little whispers of what's going on on TikTok. Like uh, what? Oh, it was like the TikTok witches who were trying to curse the moon Mm -hmm. last year. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So, so sometimes what comes, trickles down to me um from tiktok reminds me of the ridiculous shenanigans that we would get up to when we were 18 and 19 year old uh noobs who knew nothing had no good Mm -hmm. resources stayed up way too late were hyped up on way too much sugar and mountain dew and like had some conversation about mysticism that sounded very profound to us at the time (laughs) I know these. But then but then <laughs> you commit it to the internet. And I, I'll be honest with you, like I, I look back at some of the things that I did, went through, or witnessed mm-hmm. between the ages of 14 and I'm gonna say 25. And I'm really glad we didn't have <laughs> smartphones and live streaming to make oh, some gosh, of that stuff right? immortal because holy <laughs> moly, would some of that just at the very least be embarrassing. <laughs> So uh, I'm not sure what to do with TikTok, frankly. Like, like I keep kind of going, well, maybe I should poke my... A couple of people are like, oh, you should totally get in on that. Like, you'd, you'd, you'd be good with it. Like, you're good on camera. And I'm like, I will need help from someone 10 years younger than me at minimum. Hey, everybody. Kyle popping in to give you a heads up about our charity for March of 2021. It's Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month. And if you're unaware, Pagan was diagnosed with it over seven years ago. MS is an incurable autoimmune disease that causes the immune system to attack the nervous system. Being that it's Awareness Month, we wanted to do something where we could tie in the proceeds from our subscriptions on our website and give large chunks of that away to charity. So specifically, the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. If you'd like to get involved, head over to chaosandshadow.com or now named revelatornetwork.com forward slash subscribe. 
We're giving away large chunks of the proceeds. So even a $5 contributor gives away $2 to the charity. If you become a contributor at $20, we're giving away 10 of that. And if you're becoming a founder at 50, 30 of that goes to charity. Wonderful way to support us as a network and give money to a cause that is needed. That's the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. So go check out the article we have on the blog. Get involved. Thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. I just will. I mean, I feel the same way. I'm, I'm, I'm dinging 30 this year. That's my level up. So I, I feel very similar with it. Uh, and I, I guess it brings up even a larger conversation to me of, of kind of the depth of information people get. Because the mm-hmm. one thing that doesn't synergize uh, with TikTok for me is just the shortness of the clips. I, I'm mm-hmm. still someone yeah. that prefers my, my videos somewhere between 15 minutes and an hour um, six second, 12 second videos, just don't do it for me. Fine on Instagram feeds and all that and the, the, whatever. But I think that's my turnoff. And I am curious yeah. in the long run, like you said, back, back before this, this social media was so prevalent, we had our exploration. We did our, our, our kind of dinky rituals that we made things up and had fun outside <laughs> of the books and the, in the, being out of the know, if you will. Uh, we were playing it, it feels like to me, maybe TikTok is in that strange spot right now where it bridges the gap between playing and taking the craft more seriously, which I guess all on its own it is a whole other conversation because I think the craft is in itself playing. So I, I, I wonder, it, to me, it feels like this, this tying together of short clips so you can't necessarily do a lot of research. Maybe a lot of it's very mm-hmm. headline catching. Um, but also I think there's some exploration and play in there too. So like you say, I don't know what, what one does with that other than kind of look at the stories as they come by. I mean, there's a lot of versatility with quick short bursts. Um, and it, it, it democratizes like everybody, anybody with a phone, anybody who's got like can wrap their brain around the technology can, can do this, which is both a good and a bad thing. So actually I was just talking about this with, with my housemate Roe, uh, who has started up a, a poetry Instagram. Um, and like the internet, uh, to to misquote, uh, I think Churchill, the internet is the the uh, the, the worst method of communication to develop, uh, except for all others which have been tried. Like it's it's sort of like the best and the worst thing that's happened to us mm-hmm. because we've got this amazing ability to communicate. We've got so much information, just lightning at the tips of our fingers. We've got more than the Library of Alexandria. The world yeah. has become tiny. If you can think about how to search it, you can probably find it. But the problem is there are people who are genuinely trying to put information into that sphere. There are people who are not actively trying to lie or mislead, but they themselves are mistaken about something or they haven't done their research properly. Or honestly, Mm -hmm. they just believe in something very fervently and they are plain wrong. And they put it out with the exact same accessibility and the exact same fervor. And then you have this whole other sort of twisty aspect of people who think it's funny to put crap out there just because it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you can't, as somebody, especially who's just like seeing those little bursts of information, it's very difficult, especially if you're new. How do you tell the difference? I mean, back in uh, the early days of the internet, uh, oh man, like this would make me grind my teeth. Every chat room or IRC channel, uh, AOL chat rooms that, that mm-hmm. I was in in like 90, whatever, there would always be some 
some dude bro who would pop in and start talking about how he had a real copy of the Necronomicon that he found in like in his grandfather's basement. And, you know, he'd like, you know, school you on how abracadabra was actually a Semitic thing and like, blah, 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 blah. And it's all completely bad and it's all completely wrong. And if you challenged him on it, like it would just turn into a flame war, but there would always be like five people who are like, well, but, but maybe it's right. And they wouldn't know better. And they would just sort of like go off with that. And, but this has now taken that to a degree that is a little mind boggling that the speed at which misinformation travels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that has me sometimes going, oh, oh, but how do people pull themselves back out of the misinformation hole if they've fallen down it? Especially when you're talking magic, because the thing about real magic is it doesn't matter at the end of the day what your symbol set is or what you do if your will is strong enough you really believe in what you're doing you can still get results um and like that's kind of the heart of chaos magic like if you mm-hmm. make a, a ritual with the teletubbies and you know your your heart's fully into it you will get results where's the line where do we draw the line do we get to draw the line how does the practitioner draw the line uh i'll use the teletubbies because you know generally you don't expect anybody to believe that the teletubbies a are real um and, and you know anything like that so so what happens when someone doesn't know and slender man is real mm-hmm. and they summon slender man and then they get results and then that gets into like thought forms and creative stuff like it, it gets really tangled like we're in this fantastically revolutionary space and moment in history where we've We've broken down a lot of boundaries of reality, of what we consider truth and fact. And I think we're kind of fumbling around trying to figure out how do we put it back together now that we've knocked so many of the walls down? What shape mm-hmm. does it take now? And, and who gets to determine that shape? That is- it's really interesting that you talk about that because that reminds me of the House Kepper event with the Kermit is a God yeah. panel. Mm -hmm. Uh, which was so cool to listen to and it it was for those who haven't read the review or haven't are unaware of this um there was a whole panel about kermit the frog and how he might actually have become a thought form a god and because he has so many different aspects that everybody knows so it's kind of one of those things of what else have we turned into pop culture gods And that was basically one of the premises of this panel. And it's just really kind of, in a sense, a little disturbing. Mm -hmm. And in another sense, it's kind of exciting because it's like, well, this is new. And this is kind of weird. And I kind of like it. I don't know yet. (laughs) We'll see where it goes. And yeah, I'm completely with you on this where it's how far do we take it? And can we put the walls back now that we've taken them down? Yeah, and it, it reminds me, there's a there's a Zen koan about, um, there's a mother who's a very, very faithful, faithful Buddhist, and her son, who's a not-so-faithful Buddhist, but he's a merchant, and he travels, and he travels, you know, over to where a monastery is, and that monastery has a couple of relics of a saint. And, you know, it's this long, torturous journey, but every time she asks him, bring me back a bone of the saint so that I can have it for my shrine and my altar and I can pray to it. <clears throat> And, you know, he he makes a couple of these, like, you know, six-month-long trips, and he forgets every freaking time. So, finally, he's, like, halfway home, and he's like, oh, mom's getting old, and I forgot again, and I just, you know what? So, there's a dead dog by the side of the road, and he's just like, she won't know the difference. So, so he takes a bone from the dog, and he wraps it up, and he he dresses it up and makes it look 
like what you would expect to have come from this shrine. He presents it to her with the you know lie intact, like this. I brought it back, and she believes it. And the next thing he knows, she's performing miracles with it because it, in in full tradition of this saint, as if it were an actual relic of the saint. And and the moral of it is that with the right amount of faith, even a dog bone is sacred. Even that becomes it, it's it's not the object. It's the fate. It's what mm-hmm. the person is channeling through it. I, I absolutely love that because I, I stumbled across that a few months back, a, a similar... I, I mean, we've seen a lot of those, just first and foremost. I'm very much into this mm-hmm. this vein of conversation we're having now, especially. Um, but I remember kind of with the, the the mothman sightings of ufos in the in the 1960s the the phenomena that went through i remember a case that was relayed where uh, it, even in the case of a false ufo report being sent in it then began to spur and start many more real ones people that were not mm-hmm. in on the joke uh, and what that actually does to people because these are people who are genuinely believing they were seeing what they were seeing but that was a, an apparent human creation just, you know, a day before or something. It was just a hoax. But it becomes real with manifestation. And uh, I'm in the middle of reading a book for the the New Kirk's uh, a book club there called Strange Frequencies. And mm-hmm. oh, Strange Frequencies is fascinating for people out there that might be interested. It, it starts off talking about the... Um, kind of Hebrew account of a, a golem being created and what that is to bring life into a creation like that, and what it might mean when we start to step into the shoes of the God figure when we create. And, and nowadays with our algorithms and our AI that we're actively employing in these ways, uh, it's become a very, very real space that we're stepping into. I mean, I'm sure, I, mm-hmm. I know people are already in it. There are people doing the tech field right now with these, but wild as these applications become even more and more accessible to us, the consumer. Yeah. So it's, we'll continue. Oh, go ahead. No, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, it, you know, talking in, in that kind of thing, it goes again, back to the house Kepper event where, you know, I watched it the day after when it was no longer live and it still had so much power. And it's kind of one of those things that if, when you look at the theories behind the stain, strange frequencies, that you end up with that same kind of thing of, did the technology hold the power of the ritual or the, was the power of the ritual just out in the ether? And mm. it's kind of one of those really interesting kind of yeah. things that we're going through as we you know continue to grow in this age of technology how our magic will change and grow with it. Well, we're not the first ones to like really wrestle with that. Uh, one of my favorite stories about Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, you know, as not everybody knows Stoker. If he wasn't actually a member of the Golden Dawn, he was so tangential, he might as well have been. He was certainly in on conversations. Um, and one of those conversations about uh, a person's aura, uh, about like the sort of... Um, magnetic personality that certain people are able to project uh, led to why Stoker has Dracula not show up in mirrors. But in, in real life stuff, what that was based off of was Stoker managed an actor by the name of Sir Henry Irving, who was renowned for his ability to just project his force of personality through his characters, to visibly physically become these characters to reach out into the audience and metaphysically there were a lot of debates about like how much energy work was actually going into that irving notably really did not like to have his photo taken unless he was actively in character 
actively projecting mm-hmm. character. Um, and while it was sort of like, you know, ha ha, this is just a quirk, the underlying implication was that he he felt like he needed to present specifically what he wanted in that picture and that it could capture it. And he didn't want it to capture anything that, that, that was more him, that was more personal. Uh, and so we're not the first ones to think about like new technology and what does that mean for us, for our magic, for the, the way in which we look and look at the world and organize it uh, metaphysically and, and psychologically. It is totally fascinating. Now, we're getting a little bit short on time in this this interview here. So I kind of want to pivot just a bit. Uh, okay. M- Michelle, if you're interested, we may have some time. If you have time tonight, we might look at recording um, just a few more extra minutes of a, of a little bit of bonus content for people out I'm there. Totally done with that. That'd be lovely because we have yes. some extra questions I know we need to get to tonight <laughs> just for the sake I'm, of doing I'm terrible it. at being brief. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> no, I love it. I, <laughs> we, we all do. It. Keep, keep it love up. It. You can come back and talk to us anytime, <laughs> and if, as long as you'd like. We don't mind. <laughs> so off of this, because I, I think this this has been this topic of where does technology collide with our current belief system? How does it change the scope of things? Also tied with people coming into the field brand new. I, I can't see these mm-hmm. things as unrelated because some mm-hmm. of us are diving into these. Gosh, you, you brought up the, the 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 golden dawn a second ago. And I, I wonder, I mean, some of us, it feels like we're diving into definitely these organizations of our own. We're starting to create those foundations. I mean, look at House Kepru out there. That, that is something foundational that people can look at for 20 years. It, it's being built. We're paving these paths anew. And it does all make me wonder, when people are getting into it fresh, I hope that they're finding that there is some some deep research out there aside from these, these six-second clips. Because when you start to peel back the layers, I think there's an, an interconnectivity of all of this uh, that's really slapping me in the face lately. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't look away yeah. from I, – I, I search one topic and immediately I see a tweet from someone that we know that'll be like, here's a whole other avenue to go down. And I just, I'm wondering, Michelle, do you feel like with the change that's coming to the occult or paranormal community at large, does it feel to you like it's being packed with any more energy than usual? I mean, the world is in a different spot right now. Mm. How how are you feeling with all of these changes that are going? There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, so, God, we're, how, how, do, how do we even unpack that? So, so there's like this... Everything going on with the paranormal community that was leading up to, uh, and then COVID happened, um, and, and all the unrest in the United States and around the world, um, and then all of the like psychic energy that was just zinging around, you know, regardless of the internet, in terms of people's uh, stress and trauma, and, and whether or not you considered yourself psychic, you probably found yourself caught up in this sort of global tension that we all collectively shared uh, last year and, and still are really embroiled in. Uh, and then there's the, the sort of inescapable fact that death itself has an energy, has a feel. And when there's so much of it concentrated, there's an undeniable like kind of miasma of stuff just floating around. And with all of that in the middle of an occult renaissance, a paranormal renaissance, mm-hmm. folks you know, actively trying to understand the other side, speak with spirits, and now we are awash in them and awash in people who are kind of caught in between uh, on ventilators like 
hovering for weeks between life and death in uh, a comatose state that is, I mean, like, there's so much going on. Uh, I think that we will be unpacking what this means and what it has done to us individually and collectively for years to come. Mm -hmm. And I think that we will do very poorly if we fail to actively try to understand it. Um, There's just, there's really just so much. uh, And it it can't not have an impact on on who we are going forward. And it certainly should have an impact on how we uh, approach uh, the paranormal. I, when everything first started with COVID uh, in the COVID wards and stuff, I was like, oh, wow, this is so weird. This is like 20 years from now, 30 years from now, there's going to be COVID wards and there will probably be investigators who are walking around them like we walk around Waverly. Wow. Maybe 50 years, maybe 80 years, but but think about that. Gosh, that's sobering. <laughs> yes. And it, it, an incredibly awfully depressing kind of way, but it it's a reality. It, yeah. It's something that never has crossed my mind until you mentioned it. And like I said, it's a very sobering thought to think about. And, yeah, you know, we're, we're over 500,000 that have um, died, I believe, in the United States. And yeah. that's a lot of people. And so there's a lot of, you know, spirits that are still around. And um, it, it's just, wow. I, <laughs> I'm i kind of floored by that response. So it it's... It's something that I will definitely be taking away from this because I think that maybe coming out of this, that's something that we also don't really think about. And maybe it's something we don't want to think about, mm-hmm. but it's something we should be. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need to ask ourselves some hard questions as we move through this. But mm-hmm. also, I think, be very aware that whether we acknowledge it or not, we are all collectively going through trauma. Yes. We need to be kind to ourselves and we need to be gentle to ourselves and to one another and be patient because this is not something we will sort out or understand or heal from overnight. We're still in the middle of it. Yes. That's extremely important. I think a lot of people, I find myself, uh, especially one of these people at times, where uh, as someone that has thankfully not been, had many scares during this crisis, I've been someone that kind of goes, well, it's you know all things considered, it, it's not that bad. You know, you're 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 you're, you're okay. It, it's not that bad. But when the number five hundred thousand comes up, and we look, and that's more casualties than the United States had in World War II. Talk about sobering. It really, really does set you back, and you go, okay, mm-hmm. wow, we really are in a, a a type of war mindset here. And for those that are actively practicing, uh, and especially even like you said, the ones that are not, the ones that are completely unaware, I, I think this has really. Maybe that's one of the reasons it's lit such a fire under this occult renaissance. Not only are we trapped at home with limited things to do, so of course the internet, but (laughs) at the same time, people that are feeling those massive waves of energy shifting through, um, just people that are that are that are seeing it for a first time. uh, And and again, I say I'm very glad there are people out there that are are, have these torches, have these this this kind of light, this path to show people. Uh, just because I think as we dive deeper, it's good. It's good, good to get some of these sources um, without without drawing this interview out forever. Because I could open up a whole other can of worms. Yeah, would, like how historically the interest in the paranormal and spiritualism stuff follows big wars. Okay, if you want to talk about it, like we can talk. <laughs> okay, about that. That, that's a can of worms that we kind of like should open up. Go get your uh, drinks, well, everybody. I'm, I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm ready. Lead and let let us like maybe talk about it later but like if you look back historically there's 
there's a big loss of life. There's a lot of people struggling with it, wondering where their loved ones go and like wondering mm-hmm. if there's a way to find out if they're okay. And then we, we get uh, a little culturally obsessed with trying to communicate with the other side through, through various means. Uh, and, and that's mm-hmm. something that you can track just in the past 200, 250 years um, in the States and let alone the world. But gosh. Okay, we'll, we'll, we will, we'll, let's pop that can of worms maybe in this, this bonus segment yeah. here <laughs> to kind of wrap up for the main episode so we can get this in here. Can we have you talk about this wonderful event upcoming you're going to be participating in? Lord mm. Tempest Akroff, who people know from the podcast, she's been on here before. We, we've had um, Witches Sabbath content up there on the blog, has a waking Persephone event planned, and I hear you are going to be a speaker. Yes, I'm really excited about it. I love the idea. Um, now, for, for folks who don't know uh, Laura Tempest Zakroff, uh, I I first met them as a, as a belly dancer uh, because they wanted to dance to one of the tracks I did with Nux Arcana um, for like one of their tribal gothic belly dance uh, videos, like way back in the Stone Age. Uh, and you know, getting to hang with them at uh, conventions like uh convocation and whatnot and like they're just this fantastic vibrant uh not just a dancer like like every aspect of it i've got i'm sitting in a room where their art is right over there on my wall uh so waking persephone is a sort of revisioning of a previous event that they used to run and it's taking it in a slightly different direction and making it a lot more magical uh, so there's, it's a lot about queer spaces and it's a lot about occupying like different identities. And I will be talking about uh, the intersection of um, being intersexed, but also being a walker between and what does that mean? And what are some historical roles of folks who don't fit in neat uh, identity boxes in previous mystical traditions like shamanism um, and in other world traditions, and and what does that mean for us now? And how do we how do we claim those identities? And how do we claim those identities in a responsible way that is ours and unique without either retreading or pillaging uh, previous cultures and, and pasts? Absolutely gorgeous, and that takes- that is so incredible. That's going to take place on Saturday, April 24th, everybody. Out of this event, people just filled up their calendars. I think I think people added something like four dates to their calendar between the House Kepru coming up this summer, <laughs> between Waking Persephone happening in April. Uh, we got a very, very magical and spiritual time up ahead. Michelle, do you have any other projects that you have coming out of the pipeline here in the near future? So, uh, kind of a, a big thing. So, a year ago... Um, I started within the House Kepperu community uh, on Saturdays doing a connection ritual. Um, it was once everybody was put into lockdown. And especially those who were used to like regular energetic interaction, both those who needed to give, but also those who needed to take, were starting to like really feel it. Uh, and even people who didn't think of themselves as energy workers started to like really languish. So um, I started this 10 to 15 minute little ritual where we would tune in and I would lead people through uh, a guided meditation where we would connect across the distance and just become aware of the webwork woven between us and the fact that physical distance is pretty illusory. Uh, I've been running that every Saturday uh, for an entire year. And this Saturday, I'm going to take the plunge and make it public. Ooh. 
So it will be simultaneously streamed to my Facebook and my YouTube. Um, whether or not we start streaming it to uh, other sources after that um, will just kind of depend on like uh, just the logistical factors. But it's uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, every Saturday. And I will try to make that a regular thing. Sometimes we do it at 7, 7 p.m. to a- attempt to not keep our, our European <laughs> friends up too, too mm-hmm. late. Um, Kat Mason Rogers, who is an artist I work with and a very close friend, uh, did a little comic, a, a piece of sequential art that kind of commemorates it and also serves as an instruction for people so that they understand like what it is we're doing. And that's currently up on both my Twitter and my, my Facebook fan page. So you can kind of like look at it. I'm, I'm okay. still working on like how to like put it into a format where it's like, here, take it. It's, it's meant to be free. Um, I, I'm biased, but I think it's gorgeous. And it's just, you know, a, a quick visual way of going, this is what we're doing. This is why it's important. Um, come and be part of it if you want to. That is lovely. Oh my gosh. I think I was seeing this earlier today when I was poking through. That is absolutely gorgeous. So the connection ritual. And you said that's taking place. Is that every Saturday, Michelle, at 9 p.m. Eastern? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I was a little nervous like a year ago because I'm, I'm not the most consistent person <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to scheduling. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've managed to do it. Like, uh, there's been a couple where I've been uh, spelled by other members of House Cat Brew, but most of it, yeah, every Saturday, um, and we've kept up with it. We open with uh, the Kepri in charge, and we close with the prayer. Mm-hmm. So you get a little flavor of our style of ritual as well. But it is intended to be non-denominational and actually really non-theistic. It's all about the people connecting. Like, that. that is the sole focus, is finding... The, the, the other flames burning in the night. That's absolutely wonderful. I know what I will be doing. I'm adding that to my calendar as well. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so everyone out there, I, I'm just, Michelle, I'm so glad we could have you in here to chat with folks because it's, it's just phenomenal as always. And I, I'm super glad to hear we're going to get some extra time with you this evening. We'll, we'll get an extra little piece up there uh, probably for the members of the website. So if you guys are interested, we'll have a little bit more of this chat with Michelle because we got some uh, a question like, what is your favorite demon to work with in related related to your book? So this is going to be good. I, I also want to pick your brain just a little bit if you've done any, um, well, remote viewing sort of work because that issues come mm-hmm. up as well recently or the topic. Mm-hmm. So we got some good ones. Michelle, this has been absolutely lovely. Uh, yes. I, I think we've told <laughs> everybody about so many of your projects, but they should go where to connect your Twitter, your Facebook. You got the website. There's Patreon. Anything I'm missing? What else do you want them to know about? Uh, I mean, I'm mostly active on on Twitter and on Facebook. And of course, there's my website, MichelleBellanger.com, which is where you can kind of like catch everything. And uh, Patreon.com slash Haunted is where I have actually a really nice thriving community, lots of supportive people, great conversations, and you get the side bonus if I teach you stuff. Heck yes. <laughs> what a great teacher. I, I, I couldn't recommend all of this more to our listeners. Michelle, thank you for being an amazing friend to us and, and, and giving us such great insight along the way. We truly, truly cherish it. So let's wrap it up here. We will sit back down in a few minutes, do a little bit of recording. To everyone out there at home, please stay safe, stay healthy during this time, get involved with Michelle's work, and we will chat with you all very soon. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.
Hey gang, Kyle popping right back in to let you know we did record a bonus 40 minutes sitting down with Michelle asking some questions we got from the audience and listeners. It was wonderful. So if you want to grab hold of that on March 24th, that will be up at revelatornetwork.com. You'll be able to find that episode on the blog. So click on that news tab at the top. If you're a member of the site, that will be open to you. If you aren't already a member, consider doing so. For $5, you can get access to the site. And for the month of March, we are raising awareness for multiple sclerosis. Pagan herself is impacted and diagnosed with it. So we are raising money. It's a wonderful time to do it. And we're giving away big proceeds from people's uh, subscriptions over there. So you want to check that out. There's a little bit of a breakdown below. You can check out all the tiers, what they give you, how much we're giving. Because for some of those tiers, we're giving... We're giving away a whole whopping like $30 of it. So donate. It's time to get involved. Let's do something good and get yourself a whole extra 40 minutes of Michelle's knowledge. So huge huge thank you to her. Huge thank you to all the listeners out there. You're all wonderful. And thank you for just making this all possible. Stay safe.